Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. More information about Lifehouse and our senior pastors, Richard and Helen Kabakian, can be found at lifehouse.com.au. We hope you enjoy the following message. I know that in a room this size, that if you have a look around the room, I'm sure there's going to be people here where 2018 was like it was the bomb. It was like everything that you could possibly dream of that could have happened in 2018 for you, it happened. Those, there are some of you in this room, you lost the weight in 2018. Yeah, yeah, come on, give yourselves a round of applause. Maybe there's not so many of you. We just had Christmas, I understand. Some of you here got the girl in 2018. Timmy Garisto, yeah, you know who you are. Come on, some of these things happened. Some of you bought a house in 2018. Well done, that was so good. 2018 was like years. Some of you in 2018 discovered that you had abs. Isaac Tipping. Uh, 2018 was your year. Me in 2018, I got kidney stones. Uh, That was my year in 2018. If you've never had those before, let me pray that you never get them. Uh, Rob knows what I'm talking about. My goal, <laughs> my goal for 2018 was actually to lose 10 kilos, and I'm really happy to let you know I've only got 12 left to go, so <laughs> I'm doing really, really well. 2018. I think it's like what Jess was saying before, is 2018, I think if we went around the room and we asked what 2018 was like for some of us, I think if we were honest, Sometimes there was a little bit of disappointment that crept in. I don't know about you, but my 2018 never measured up to what I thought it was going to be. Last year at Lifehouse Church, this was the year of purpose. And that's what we talked about all year. That was our theme for the year. And to be 100% honest with you, I actually got to the end of the year and I, I look back over my year and I don't think, I think 2018 for year was, for me, was the year that I felt the most purposeless that I had in my whole entire life. And I looked back over that year and I thought, wow, there were so many disappointments that crept in over 2018. And don't get me wrong, there were some highlights in the year. It wasn't all doom and gloom. But as I look back over the year as a whole, it didn't actually turn out how I thought it was actually going to go turn out. I'm, I'm usually one of these guys that starts the year off and uh, with full of optimism. Is that the word optimism? I'm a very optimistic person. And I had a lot of optimism and and I had a lot of high belief for 2018. And I'm like this kind of every year. And you know, Kathy and I have this thing where at the start of every year, we, we prophesy over each other. And she gets away and writes down something in her book. And I go away and write down something in my book. And then we get together and we compare notes. And generally, God's saying the similar things to us. But this is last year, 2019, as that clock ticked over, I just couldn't bring myself to sit down and write down anything because of the disappointment that was still weighing down on me from 2018. And I started to think about that. I thought, God, what is with that? And surely I'm not the only one in the room. And surely, God, I'm not the only person that's actually felt any sort of disappointment. Maybe like Jess was saying, maybe there were some prayers that went unanswered in 2018. Maybe there were some big things that you had been believing for and maybe, maybe there were some things that were going on in your life that you just wanted a breakthrough in this area of your life just because it just seemed to be going on for such a long time. Maybe it was in your marriage. You've been believing God for a breakthrough in your marriage. Maybe it was with your finances or with your kids or with your business or whatever area of your life it was. Maybe it was this year in 2018 was going to be the year I find some friends 
whatever it was in 2018, but you get to the end of the year and all it's really been was just a little bit of everything that you've always had and always done. And you get to the end of the year and it's just like, well, God, how can I actually get into 2019 still optimistic and still believing that, yes, God, that you're in control and that you can do all the things that you say you're going to do. And yes, God, I am going to get the breakthrough. Is it going to be this year, God? Hopefully, God, it wasn't last year and it wasn't the year before and it wasn't the year before that. But God, maybe this year, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the one that was going to happen. It's almost like you've got to muster up all the strength to be able to do that. And I started getting a little bit down on myself and a little bit grumpy and grumpy with God and everything else. And God directed me to a passage in Scripture, and it's a story. Uh, And I love stories, so He had me right there. And it's a story about a lady by the name of Naomi. And we're going to have a look at that today, and it's in Ruth chapter 1 where you find this. But she just didn't have one bad year. In actual fact, she had at least 10, and they were all lined up in a row. And, And I think I had a bad year. This woman had a horrible year the stuff that she had to go through and the stuff that she had to walk through. And I read about her story and I was, as I was reading through it, how did this woman actually get into uh, a new time or a new season in her life? How did she actually ever make it? Because if you read the end of the book, well, things are actually going really well for her. But it didn't look like it was going to happen like that as you were going through it. And we're going to pick up the story, Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to go from verse 19. And as we pick up this story, we find that there's these two women and they're on a journey. One, her name is Ruth. She's the younger of the two. And then there's her mother-in-law, whose name is Naomi. And they're on this journey and they've been travelling for seven days and they're travelling from a place called Moab and they're travelling back to Naomi's uh, hometown, hometown of Bethlehem in Judea. And this is what they're doing. And as they they get there after travelling for these seven days, uh, we hit verse 19. When they came to Bethlehem, The entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked. Naomi had been gone for over 10 years. And here she is here. This is the day she's arriving back into her hometown. People who she grew up with, people who used to know her are looking at her and they can't believe that this is Naomi. This is the same woman that they they grew up. They're looking at her and she looks so different to the way that they remembered her. They're looking at her. She looks a little bit older. She looks a bit greyer. She looks a bit more wrinkled. She looks a bit frazzled. She doesn't look the same joyful person that they knew 10 years ago. And they're looking at her life and and not only did she look differently, but she also spoke differently. Verse 20, she said this, this is Naomi talking now. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent so much tragedy upon me? You could hear the anger in her words as she's saying this to these people who knew her. Don't call me Naomi anymore. That's not me. That's not the person I am anymore. My name is now Mara. She's actually decided she was going to change her name. That's a pretty big deal back in Bible days to be able to change your name. Your name was like a a prophetic word that was spoken over your life. It it had so much power that was in there. Every time someone called your name, it was like they were prophesying the meaning of your name over your life. And that's what they were doing in this situation. But Naomi said, I don't want to be known as that name anymore. Instead, I want you to call me Mara. You know, my wife and I, I've shared this story here before, but my, my wife and I, 
a very big believers in, in when it came time to naming our children, what we were actually going to get to call them. We, we honestly believe that, that as parents, this is one of the greatest joys that we get to actually name our kids. And so we put some time and we put some thought and we put some prayer into what are we actually going to call our kids. So when Riley turned up on the scene, uh, Riley's name, is, his full name is Riley Aiden George Swan. Yeah, I know that says rags, but that's his name, Riley Aiden George Swan. And uh, that basically means like fiery one. Uh, it means, uh, um, I can't remember what it needs now, fiery one. It means uh, it's burning with spirit, you know, that sort of concept. And George means farmer. And so when we, when we were praying and when we were praying over this little baby as we were holding him in our arms, he was so cute. And we were, we were praying over him. And, and what I got the picture of was this guy who could have, hold himself in a battle, hold himself in a fight, had a lot of spirit inside of him, yet he had a gentle heart like a farmer where, where he had this heart for people. And he reminded me as I held him in my arms of like King David, you know, a shepherd boy, but was also a king that knew how to play that guitar and worship God. But then he also had this soft spot for, for people and for God, and, but he knew how to fight. That was what, and I, so we called him Riley Aiden George Swan. Then Keely came along and Keely was so beautiful and Keely Brooke is her name. And Brooke, and, and Keely Brooke means beautiful one and refreshing. And I just got this sense as I was holding her in my arms that she was going to be this one that just brought refreshing to people's lives. And, and she is that exactly today. We, we, her friends would testify to that. Come on, if you're going to clap, clap. It's like she brings so much joy and so much refreshing to people's lives. And then Zion came along. And Zion, we knew what we were going to call Zion before she was even conceived. I really felt whether she was going to be a girl or whether she was going to be a boy, we were going to call this one Zion. And Zion means dwelling place of God. And I was like, wow, that's such an awesome name. But Riley has three names. Keely has two names. We can't just call her Zion. She's going to feel left out. So we had to come up with another name. And I couldn't work out for the life of me. What goes with Zion, you know? Barbara doesn't really work. I'm sorry if that's your name. Uh, you know, I, we, what goes with Zion? We couldn't come up with something else. And then one day I was in a mess, meeting like this and I was listening to a friend of mine preach and she was preaching about this, this girl in the Bible and her name was JL. And this girl, like when she, she's known, she's only really known for one thing, but she was there and, and one day the king came to her tent and she drugged him to sleep, gave him some milk, put him to sleep, and then she got an iron spike and she hammered it through his head. I thought, what a cool girl. We sleep at night with one eye open, of course, but, but what a cool girl. So I got my trusty name book to find out what does JL mean? Zion means dwelling place of God. And when I opened up the book, uh, it said bringer of light. And I thought, wow, what an amazing name. Dwelling place of God, bringer of light. I thought, wow, oh, that's such a cool name. As I was holding little Zion in my arms, I just got this sense of this great evangelist that's just able to go into places in the world and not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we thought, what a perfect name. That's going to be awesome. So we called her that, Zion J.L. Swan. And uh, it was only a few years after that I was writing an article for somebody and, and it was on the importance of names. And so I got there and I thought I better do my research properly so I'm quoting the right books and everything else. And I got there and Riley and Keely and by the time I got to Zion, I was looking up the meanings of her name 
And yes, sure enough, Zion means dwelling place of God. But when I opened up my trusty name book, Jael didn't say bringer of light. Instead, Jael said wild mountain goat. And I looked at that for a minute thinking, surely, surely this is wrong. And I'm searching everywhere, I'm Googling, I'm everything, I'm, I can't possibly, inside of me this panic is starting to rise up. What have we done? What have I done to my little girl who's now a wild mountain goat? And the only other different connotation of the name JL that I could find was herder of wild mountain goats. And you know what? It's exactly what we prophesied over life. She is our wild child. She is so crazy. She is so wild. And that's what we prophesied over her life. And that's what we got. She's actually really happy about that story. She's crying right now because she's laughing so much. But she's actually really happy about that story because it was only just last year, someone came up to her, I think one of the young guys, and said, you realise GOAT stands for greatest of all time. So there you go, baby. Zion JL. But Naomi had an awesome name. Do you want to know her name, man? Naomi's name, it had a really beautiful meaning. In its basic form, it means pleasant. It means sweet. It means delightful and beautiful. But in Hebrew, it was, the connotation was there for the name Naomi. It was like when Naomi's dad would have picked her up for the first time in his arms and he looked down into her little brown eyes and as he's looking there, he would have said words like this, now, my little Naomi, you bring me so much joy and you are my delight. This is the words that her father, that was the name that she got given as a child. So every time as she was growing up, someone used her name, what they were doing is prophesying over her, you're the one who brings your father so much joy and so much delight. Naomi, you're the one who brings your father so much joy and so much delight. Yet here she is now, and she's saying, I don't want to be known by that name anymore. Instead, I want you to call me Mara. Mara meant bitterness. Mara meant sorrowful. I want you to call me that person because I can't be that person anymore. My dad has long since passed away. I'm not the person that, that he thought I was going to be. I don't bring joy to his life anymore. I'm not his little Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. In fact, she takes it a step further and she says that it's not only just that, but as we read before, she goes on one more step and she actually says, God is the person responsible for the misery that I find in my life. She said, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. In other words, I used to have purpose in my life. I used to have it all together. I used to have everything going for me. I had money, I had friends, I had everything else that was there that you could possibly want in your life. My life was full, yet God brought me back empty. I blame God. God is the reason why the, the things that have happened in my life have happened to me. And the question that I had when I was reading that story is what actually went wrong in this woman's life? What went wrong so much so that she decided to change the whole trajectory yeah, that word. She decided to change that for her life by changing her name to Mara. What went wrong in her life? Why would she blame God for the last 10 years worth of misery? What did God do to her? What was it that she was thinking that God had done for her? How would she ever be able to move forward into a new season in her life when she's still carrying on the things from the past? How could she step into 2019 knowing all the things that had taken place in the last decade of her life? 
How could she do that? A new, a new year doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're going to actually step into something new. A new year doesn't mean that if you're still carrying around the old stuff that was there. A new year doesn't mean a thing if you're going to continue to be the old you. But if this was the first time that you'd actually met Naomi, you could be excused for kind of thinking that maybe she's just a cranky old woman. Maybe, you know, whatever. But she was, Naomi was about to do one thing, just one thing that was going to totally change her life forever. And not just her life. She was going to change her family's life. She was going to change her nation's life. And in actual fact, what she's going to be doing when she does this one thing, she's actually going to bring hope into everybody that's ever struggled with disappointment in their life. She was actually going to do this one thing that was actually going to sow seeds of hope into anyone that's ever struggled with disappointment. And we're going to go back and find out. But to be able to do that, we've got to understand how she actually arrived in this place. So can we do that together? Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to go right back to verse 1. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this. In the days when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Now, you've got to understand when the writer of Ruth is saying the land, they're referring to the promised land. This was the land that God had promised the children of Israel hundreds and hundreds of years earlier that He was going to give them. This was the land that was supposed to be flowing with milk and honey. This was the land where, as we read in Scripture, it took two guys to carry one bunch of grapes because the grapes were that big. This was that land. And so the writer says, but this land isn't experiencing all of those things right now. In actual fact, things haven't turned out the way that God actually said that they would because the, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, according to this Scripture, is now experiencing a severe famine. Things haven't turned out. There's a lack that's going on. The land no longer resembled the blessing God had actually intended for it to be. Next verse. So a man from Bethlehem in Judea left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion and they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Because of this famine that was going on, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, makes a decision and he does something that no godly Jew would ever do. He decides to uproot his family and he decides to move his family to the land of Moab. And, and Jewish people listening to this story would be like, wow, I can't believe he actually did that. He was an Ephraimite. In actual fact, he means that he, has, he had wealth, he had responsibility, he had power in that city. Yet right at the time his people needed him the most, he decided to take his family and move to somewhere completely foreign. Actual fact, Moab was like a, a completely godless foreign country. They worshipped another god. They practiced human sacrifice. He decided to take his family and move to that place simply because the land of Moab was not experiencing a famine at all. He decided to take his family and move to a place that was so totally foreign to their culture and everything else. He left his people behind and just thought about himself and thought about his family and he moved them to this land of Moab, to the country there. Moab, they had plenty. There was no famine that was going on there. The, the climate was just a little bit more comfortable. There was no difficulty that was going on in Moab. Would it be surprising to learn that, that the name Moab actually means selfish thinking. So he took his play, he took his family to a place where it was all going to be just about them. You know, oftentimes when we hit difficulty, that's, that's our response. We often start to look out for us. When disappointment starts to want to creep into our lives just a little bit, 
we start locking ourselves into making selfish decisions and we think about us and what we want and what we need and we go into self-protection mode and we start closing our hearts and our lives off to others that are around about us because we're starting to go into that land of Moab. We're starting to self-protect and we're starting to protect that's there. Elimelech left with the intention that he was only gonna go just for a little time, just to see out the famine. He was only gonna go for a short time. The words in the scripture imply that he'd only intended to go there for a little time, but the very next verse says, but when they reached Moab, they settled there. In other words, his intention were that we're not gonna go there very long. It's just till the difficulty blows over. But when they finally got there, they put down roots and they settled there. Verse three, all of a sudden, we start to see the beginning of Naomi's sorrows. Verse three says this, Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. She now had no husband to provide for her. She, she, had, she basically now just had her two sons that were there. One of them was called Malon and one of them was called Chilion. Their name means sickness and consumption. So you know it's not gonna end well for them. You know, why anyone would call their, their sons sickness and consumption is beyond me, but that's what they were called. You know it's not gonna end well. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, who later changed her name to Oprah, and went on to run a successful business, and the other woman was named Ruth. Her sons, a wedding should be a time of great celebration and joy, but Naomi couldn't even invite her family to come to the weddings simply because of where they lived and the decision that her husband had made. She couldn't, she couldn't invite her family and friends to come and celebrate because of the people that her sons had chosen to marry. They were marrying somebody outside of their race and outside of their culture. And they were marrying someone that, that even according to Scripture, they were told not to intermarry. And here they are doing that. So she couldn't even celebrate with them. And not only did they marry foreign women, but for the next 10 years, they were also, there were no children born. They were infertile. Verse five says this, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her sons or her husband. I don't know if she lost them both on the same day, whether there was a tragedy that took place. Uh, I've sat with a mum whose three sons were murdered. You know, and the tragedy and the grief that she went through and she was experiencing was just immense and so immense that they had to actually sedate her because she couldn't cope with the grief that she was facing. I don't know whether her two sons died on the same day, whether it was spread out across a couple of years, but both her sons died. So now she has no husband, she has no sons, she has no grandchildren, she has no relatives living with her, she has, she has nobody, all that she's left with are these two Moabite daughter-in-laws, a constant reminder to her of the mistakes that her husband and her sons had made. And this was her life. This was her life. There was no social security back then. There was no Centrelink. There was no welfare program from the government to help her through. Basically, if you're a childless widow in those days, that was almost like the bottom of the ladder in terms of society. You had to fend for yourself. You had to rely on the generosity of strangers to be able to get you through. You had to be able to just hope and pray that somebody somewhere would be generous enough to leave you some groceries and, and give you something that you could actually get through because particularly because she was an older woman, she wasn't able to get work. She wasn't able to do those things just to be able to put food on the table. All that was left for her was a life of begging and hopefully someone would somewhere would take some, some pity on her and mercy on her. And on top of all of that, 
any Jewish person that would be reading this story or thinking about this story, they would be thinking, well, this is the end result of people who turn their back on God. This is the end result of people who turn their back on God's people. Yeah, it serves you right, Naomi, because what you're doing now is you're living the life that you deserve because of the decisions that you and your family made. Yet as I read through that story, it wasn't Naomi that caused the famine. It wasn't Naomi that decided to leave the land and go and live in Moab. It wasn't Naomi that killed her husband. It wasn't Naomi that chose the daughters for her sons to go and marry. It wasn't, she had nothing to do whatsoever with the fact that her kids were childless. And she had nothing to do with the fact that her sons died. Yet she was the one that had to live through every single bit of all of that pain and agony. She's the one that had to have people look down their faces at her as she walked past down the street. She was the one that had to live with all the shame, all the guilt, all the disappointment, all the regret. She's the one that had to live through all of that, yet she caused none of those things whatsoever. Is it any wonder she started to let bitterness start to get into her heart? Is it any wonder that she wanted to, to change her name? She was left with the embarrassment of all of those things. You know, I look at my own life and I think, well, you know, some mistakes I've made in my life, you know, if, I, if I've made a mistake, then I have a responsibility to correct it and to fix it. And that power is mine to be able to do that. But what happens with the things where we don't make any mistakes at all, yet we have to go through and live through the mistakes of others? When I was five, my parents got divorced. I didn't ask them to get divorced. I didn't cause the divorce. Yet I was the one as a five-year-old that had to live through having no parents. When I was 13, I got molested. I didn't ask for that. I didn't want that to happen for my life. Yet all through my teenage years, I had to live with the reality of those things that happened in my life. When I was 35, my mum died. I didn't ask for her to die. I wasn't the one responsible for her death, yet she died without me really even having a close relationship with her. I didn't really know her all that well. There was so much regret attached to that death. When I was 45, I was diagnosed with cancer. I didn't ask for cancer. I didn't want any of those things to come into my life, yet I was the one that had to live through all of those things where, God, what's going on in my life? What's happening in my life? Why did these things happen to me? All these things start to build up and build up and build up and build up. And then after a while, you wonder, how can we move on to the next year and be this new year and new you and new person when you're carrying the weight of all this stuff that you never asked for, that you didn't want, but you've got it all there building up around your life? And I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. If I was to go around the room today and we all had a conversation, we all had a chance to grab the mic, I'm sure we could all tell stories about things that had happened to us that we never asked for, words that people had spoken over us that we didn't ask for, we didn't invite around our life, things that have been done to us and they start to build up over our life and we have to carry the weight of that. And it's just like, it's not like we caused anything wrong to happen, except we have to now carry the, the weight of all those things that are going on in our life. We end up trapped in Moab. We end up trapped in that place where we start thinking about ourselves. We end up trapped in this place where it's just like, well, God, how am I ever gonna get out of this? So I've gotta go into self-preservation mode just to be able to sustain another day and get through another day, get through another week, get through another year, to be able to get through those times that, that, that we need to be able to get through. We wanna be able to desperately push forward. We know God has a call and a purpose for our lives. He calls us His little Naomi, the one who brings Him joy and delight, yet we oftentimes feel like we're Mara. And we feel like, well, God, how are we gonna do this? And as I was reading this story, 
as, though, as depressing as this story is right up into this point, when we hit verse six, all of a sudden things change because Naomi does one thing. Despite all the horribleness of her life and the hopelessness of her life, she just does one thing and her whole life turns around for good. She just does one thing. Verse six says this, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed His people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. While she's in Moab, Naomi hears that God is on the move again. While she's in Moab, she hears stories about how God is doing stuff again. While she's back in Moab, she hears these stories about God is at work again. God is good again. God is, God is bringing blessing one more time. And she has a decision to make right then and there. I can either sit here in Moab and be bitter and twisted and angry and everything else, or I can make a decision to position myself right where God is on the move. She said, I can either stay here and be angry, or I can just take one step closer to God. I can stay here and be annoyed. I can stay here and be disappointed with how things have happened. Or I can just take one step closer to where God is actually doing something, where God is on the move in people's lives, where God is actually at work in people's lives. I could actually stay here and be unhappy in my unhappy marriage and be disappointed by what's happened with my kids. And I can, I can do all of those things or I can just take one step closer to where God is actually doing something, where God is on the move in people's hearts and lives. James chapter four and verse eight says this, come close to God and He will come close to you. Come close to God and He will come close to you. Regardless of what our current season looks like or what we've been through, what would your next 12 months look like if today, right now, what would it look like for you in 12 months time if you made a decision just simply to say, God, this year, I just wanna make a decision, one decision to actually go closer to you. Look, doesn't matter, maybe the circumstances don't change straight away. Maybe things even look even bleaker for a season. But if you made that one decision today, God, I'm just gonna take one step closer to you. What would it be like for you at the end of 2019? Because right now today, you're making decisions that are gonna affect the end of this year, not necessarily the start. Right now, you can make a decision to say, God, I want to end this year closer to you. God, I wanna end this year, God, knowing you even just a little bit more. Because you know what happens? The minute you say, I'm gonna just take one more step closer to God, all of a sudden you don't feel so angry anymore because you're not alone. All of a sudden you don't have to face those situations that you're facing right now all by yourself because you know what? Greater is He that lives inside of you than he that lives in the world. What that means is that as you're facing those situations, maybe it's a financial situation, all of a sudden you've got the Creator of the heaven and earth that says, I'm gonna be on your side. Doesn't matter what you face, doesn't matter what you've gone through, doesn't matter what's there, God Himself will come and, and do battle for you on your behalf 
Maybe sickness has been knocking at its door in your life and maybe the doctors have been giving you a negative report and maybe they've been saying, hey, there's no hope for you. There's no hope for your family members. Maybe there's no hope in this situation. There's no cure for this situation. But if you just take one step closer towards God, all of a sudden you've got the healer. He made these bodies. He understands how they function. And all of a sudden He's on your side. And all of a sudden what happens is I'm not looking at the circumstances anymore, but my eyes are on God, the Creator of the heaven and earth, who nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing is impossible for Him at all. It doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter what doctors say. It doesn't matter how much money is in the bank account. It doesn't matter who's with you or who's against you. It doesn't matter whether your business is flourishing or whether you're feeling the pinch. It doesn't matter whether your kids have left home. It doesn't matter what it is that you're going through. If God is for you, then who can stand against you? But all it takes is just taking that one step One step, draw close to God and He will draw close to you. Draw close to God and He will draw close to you. What would your relationships look like in 2019 if you decided to draw closer to God? You know, all those things that you say about your boss and that you think, well, you know, my boss is this and that and everything else because you're you're so disappointed that you've been passed over for promotions. What would that look like if you just took a step closer to God? Now your future's not in your boss's hands. Now your future's in God's hands. And you can trust His hands. And even if God forbid that 2019, for some reason, you should find yourself walking through the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? You don't have to fear any evil at all. Why? Because He's with us. His rod and His staff, they comfort us, they lead us, they guide us, they protect us, they heal us, they help us. He provides a table before us, even in the midst of our enemies. Our cup runs over. Surely, goodness, mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I'm right there in the presence of God in His house forever. Now, for some of you, this week has even been a hard week, but well done. You got out of bed this morning. You brushed those teeth. You know, you got dressed. You found yourself here. You made a decision right at the start of 2019 that I want to be where God is. I want to be where God's people are. I want to be where God is alive, where His, where His presence is, is experienced by people. That's what you did this morning, so well done. Well done, you've started the year making great decisions. Well done. Verse 22 said this, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. They arrived in late spring. I love that. They arrived when a brand new season was just about to begin for her. Brand new season was just about to start. That's when they arrived. Something new was happening. She only arrived with a Moabite daughter-in-law. That was all she had, but that was all God needed to be able to use, to be able to bless her. Ruth went on to marry a guy named Boaz. They had a son named Obed. So Naomi now, having nobody, no grandkids, now has a little grandson named Obed. Then she becomes the great-grandmother of Jesse. And then she becomes the great-great-grandmother of a guy, fairly insignificant, called David. Wow. And if you follow that family line, thousands of years into the future, in a little town of Bethlehem, in a manger, 
born to Joseph and Mary is another little baby who came into this world, God's Son that saved you and saved I from all of our sins because this woman made a decision to return and take one step to be closer to her God. Imagine what could happen this year for you. One step closer. God, this, that's it, God. I'm not worrying about the, you know, people make all sorts of resolutions this time of year and make all sorts of decisions. But God, my one thing this year, I just want to know You more, just a little bit more. And I'm going to make a decision, God, to take one step closer to You this year. And whatever comes my way, God, I don't have to fear or worry because I know that You'll be with me. I know that You'll stand right by my side. And I know when God and I are together, then nothing can stand in our way. That's my prayer for us all for this year as we, as we step into 2019. Don't stay in Moab another day longer. Don't stay there. All Moab does is rob and steal from our life. It takes our future away. It takes our purpose away. That's all Moab does. But we can make that decision today. So simply to say, God, today, I wanna just make that choice Make one step, make one decision. God, I want to include you into my world. Hi, I'm Richard Kabakian, pastor of Lifehouse Church. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message and I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now. And if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you that will last for all eternity. If you've prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision. You can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you.